0: Uh, We're going to open God's Word and we are starting a new, well we're not starting a new series because Chuck kind of jumped the gun last week, so uh, we are going to be going back and forward a little bit. Uh, We're going to be starting at the very beginning of Galatians. I believe last week Chuck covered the bit uh, directly after, so hopefully it all makes sense. And hopefully Chuck never spoke about the same things that I'm going to speak about. Uh, That'll be one, either really, really awkward, or two, maybe God's just speaking about something uh, directly to you. So uh, we're starting to look at the book of Galatians, and we're looking at verses 1 to 5. So this is an introduction by Paul. So we've said in previous weeks, and you you hear again and again, whenever we speak about this man, Paul, he was a man who was just miraculously transformed by God and used by God. So, he was a man who used to persecute Christians. Uh, He met with God in an incredible way and is now sharing the gospel. Uh, So, he's writing to the churches in a place called Galatia, and all of Paul's letters in in God's Word carry a little introduction. It'd be rude not to introduce yourself. Paul does that, Uh, but this one is very unique in Galatians in that it pretty much covers the whole book. So, these five verses that we're going to read through very, very quickly cover the underlying themes of the entire letter. Uh, so it's all summed up within the five verses. And Paul basically says, this is who I am, and this is what I am writing about. So they're little words, but it's to the point, and the book basically expands on these five verses. Uh, commentators said the two main themes that run in this book are Paul's God-given authority, so his God-given authority, and the Christ-centered message. So this is what it is all about. So, we have these churches in Galatia. They know the Christ-centered message. They have heard the Word of Jesus. They have accepted it, but they're straying. They're straying. They're being drawn back to Jewish customs, uh, Jewish rules, and regulations, and they're not living under the grace and the hope of Jesus Christ. So, they know it, but they don't live it. And how often do we float back like that, back and forth, it feels familiar, it feels safer going back to what I, I used to know before Jesus came into my life. And what I want to say as an intro, and it sums up the people of Galatia, and at times us as well, is that safer isn't always better when it comes to God's plans there is a, a gentleman who's, called, who's got one of the best names ever, I think, John Augustus Shedd. Can you imagine that? Mr. Shedd on his bank cards. I think that's hilarious. Nobody else, or well, maybe one or two people do. Uh, he has this brilliant little quote, uh, which I love, which says this, a ship in the harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. I love that. A ship in the harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. So the people of Galatia... They were safe in their customs, their Jewish heritage, their history, but God had other plans, and it's just like us. We're not made to get by, just to survive, get through the weekend this week, take a breather, bit of relief, then panic, then worry sets in again, then we have the next weekly milestone, just get to the following Friday. No, God is calling us out of the harbor, and I want to ask us this morning, what are we built for? What is God speaking to you about? So why don't we pray uh, before we read God's Word? Lord, we are eager for You to speak to us this morning, Lord, and we know that You are here, and we know that Your Word is a a living Word. Your Word is a relevant Word. Your Word carries power, and we just ask as we unpack this that You will move this morning. If we have any areas, uh, specific areas in our lives that we need answers to, Lord. May you just come. Amen. Let's read. Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So, we have Paul writing here. He's emphasizing his authority. The very first uh, couple of verses, I haven't been sent by men who I live for and who I am directed by, And who set the call upon my heart has not come from a man, it's come from God. He is God Almighty. Now, that is a beginning to a letter, isn't it? That is setting the stall uh, in terms of who He is and who uh, He lives for. He was secure and settled in His calling, and He wasn't afraid to share it. And there's loads and loads of stuff on that in that first couple of verses. But as well as that, there's a verse and a term that I want us to focus on this morning, and that's when He says, Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. And in particular, that term, rescue. What do we think of when we hear that word rescue? What do we associate it with this morning? Freedom, relief, light, piercing through the darkness, hope. When thinking of of rescue myself, a few examples came to mind. And uh, while I was preparing this, this is the absolute truth. These were the top three. These are the top three things that came into my mind when I thought of rescue. So, number one, the film Castaway. Who's seen the film Castaway? Yes. For those of you that haven't, I am going to give you a 10-second snapshot into what happens in Castaway. So, Tom Hanks is deserted on an island. He speaks to a volleyball. He grows a beard. He pulls his own teeth out. Then he gets rescued. So that's the film Castaway. You don't need to watch it now. Uh, and maybe if you've seen it before, you might want to go and watch it again. That might have got you wanting to see it again. But at the end, he's standing on a crossroads as well. And I always thought the ending was a bit weird. What's all that about? You know, I want a definitive ending. I want to see where he goes to. But anyway, we'll talk about that crossroads bit uh, maybe a little bit later on. Secondly, uh, when I was thinking of rescue, I thought of a situation when Mary and myself were on our first date and one or two of you might have already heard this story uh, but I had a uh, Mary had a friend with her on our first date and we met for lunch at about half past 12 went to a lovely little place in the Inverness it was at the time and uh, Mary got a text at one o'clock and I uh, thought nothing off it and she stayed little did I know that that text was her rescue if I was an absolute lunatic <laughs> So one of our friends, she had agreed, will you text me at one o'clock, half an hour after we meet, just in case this Thomas guy isn't, thank thank the Lord she stayed. That is all I am saying. And I'm still processing all of that, the fact that she had to get someone uh, to send her a text, but we're working on it. So that's secondly. Thirdly. And uh, this one is a little bit more serious in terms of the storyline, but an incredible story. The Chilean miners were something that came to mind when I thought of rescue. So at the San Jose mine in 2010, 33 miners, 2,300 feet below sea level. 17 days, no one heard anything. There was a further seven weeks until they left the mine. So there was this one in particular incident where light, a little chink of light just shone through where they were drilling to try and find them. And there was hope, there was hope. And then they had seven weeks later and then they were rescued and transported in a tiny, narrow capsule. And if you look at that capsule, it's it's incredible. It's so narrow and they kind of had to shoot them up eh, to get them released. So we could all come up with examples of rescues, whether that be in our own lives, films we watch, news items, history. One thing I want us to remember this morning is being rescued by Jesus carries huge significance in our lives. And it's important to remember for those of us that have Jesus in our hearts, that have said the prayer, Jesus, will you come into my life and take over what that impacts, what that changes. And if you're here this morning and you haven't done that, it's what he could do if you allow him into your life. So in Galatians, Paul was very deliberate with the word rescue. He was very deliberate with it, In the majority of rescue situations, marry apart, being left without rescue isn't a good thing. I hope she'd say that. Uh, It isn't a good thing. Paul called it, it's an evil age at that time. It's an evil age. There was idol worship. There was people who were out to deceive. And looking at that in more detail, it's very similar to the world that we live in right now. And it's only getting worse. We only need to watch the news, read the papers, walk down the street. But Paul wants to re-emphasize we have a hope. We have been rescued. Remember Jesus. So, four things very briefly uh, to look at and being rescued by Jesus and what should happen to us. Uh, we are redeployed, we're released, we're re equipped, and finally, we rejoice. So, first of all, we're redeployed. If we could have the first slide up, brilliant. It's a very businessy term, redeployed, but this is a definition, and I think it fits quite well. Assigned to a new place or task assigned to a new place or task. So, when we are rescued by Jesus, we give our lives to Him, we say to Him, not our way, but your way. I want to follow you. Our calling, our purpose, our reason for being is made clear. It's made clear. And we live by a new way, a new purpose, not to please people, but to please God. God a new calling led into wherever God wants to place us, wherever He wants to put us, whatever He wants to do through us. Rick Warren, he speaks about God's rescue mission in terms of what God covers when we accept and live with Him as our Savior, what happens. And this is what redeployment means. When we're assigned to a new role Let's have a look at them briefly. And so there's a a, a few important things that changes. Firstly, it changes our direction. I don't think it's up on the screen. So firstly, our direction changes when we accept Jesus into our lives. Where we go and what we do follows God's plans and not our own. We weigh up decisions and actions and words with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us and shaping our hearts. And that can be a scary, scary thing. Because often the things that God calls us to do are the complete opposite that we want to do. It's a complete opposite road. It's into situations that we think, oh, my word, what are people going to say? What are people going to think? But our direction changes. Secondly, we have His protection. So when we step out into those areas, He says, I'll be with you. We live under God's protection and God's care. And I always remember the the children's song, Deep and Wide. Uh, You do the actions deep. No, that's wide, isn't it? (laughs) It's got the wrong way around. I won't do the actions. We'll move swiftly on. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7 says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who trust Him. He's a stronghold. He's our fortress. He's our rock. He's our strength. How many of us need to hear that this morning? Thirdly, our potential. So, we unleash all the gifts and all the talents that God has been brewing up inside of us, preparing for us. And we might be aware of a few before we even accept Jesus into our lives, but that is nothing compared to what he's got in store when we're on his mission, what he can make possible in times of difficulty. Jesus himself says in Matthew 19:26, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible with God, all things are possible. Fourthly, our happiness. When we accept Jesus into our lives, it impacts our happiness. So, what's important to us changes. We could have all the wealth, the fastest car, the nicest house, the biggest paycheck. It's nothing compared to the joy of knowing Jesus. Something happens on the inside. It just, something changes. It's deep-rooted. It settles in spite of what goes on around us, we remember that we have an advocate, we have a helper, we have a counselor who is always there, always ready to speak to us and give us comfort and give us rest and give us hope. I wonder if it was to ask us all this morning, what makes you happy? How would truly answer? And it's a challenge because when I was dwelling on that myself, it's a challenge. The only happiness that can be everlasting, sustaining, and strengthening is the happiness given by God, our Father in heaven. So, if you're sitting here this morning, you're worried about the direction that your life has taken, or you feel under attack, or you feel that you can't be used, and your joy has been sapped out of you, come before Jesus, because there's a new role and a purpose for you this morning, designed exactly for you, tailored exactly for you, So, when we're rescued, we are redeployed. Secondly, we're released. I was about to say re released. (laughs) We're released. Jesus is eager to set us free. And when I say that, I mean in here. I mean in here, in our hearts. When we're bound by stuff that's a constant drain of our energies and of our joy. And that isn't a one off, it's a constant journey. He's always there to help us break free and throw everything off. Uh, it says in Hebrews 12, 1, that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let's face it, we pick up stuff along the way, don't we? As we journey through life, trying to live uh, for God, we pick up stuff, just like the people of Galatia. Old habits die hard, for example, I still leave my washing piled up next to the washing basket. That is an old habit, which dies hard. So I don't put it in the washing basket. It piles up next to it. And you'd think after five years of marriage, I'd be, I'd be Mary's shaking her head like, "Yep, yeah, you're it's so annoying, she says, Yep. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I do that. But on a more serious note, I still have a battle worrying what, what will people think? What will people think? Just that little phrase, what will people think if I do that? What will people think if I say that? what will people think if I don't participate in that? It's so important to revisit and examine our hearts afresh before Jesus. so important because we pick up things in our weakness and then we begin to carry them and then we begin to build on them and it undermines the work of the Holy Spirit and our effectiveness in this world. We have a mission. Every single one of us are to be used by God and when we pick up stuff along the way, it impacts on our effectiveness So whether that be the way that we speak to our husband, our wife, our children after a stressful day, our jealousy with a friend, friend, how we are behind the wheel of a car, our anger when things don't go our way, our weakness with temptation, with pornography, with alcohol, with spending money that we don't have. When we are rescued, we're called to allow God in and lay it down. We're free from sin this morning. It has been paid we must remember in our rescue that we're reborn and released with a new heart, past, present, and future. The old is gone and the new is here. And we see that with Paul, as we said, when we look at Paul eh, in the Gospels, but also we see it in the story of Zacchaeus. So, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and eh, he was in Jericho when Jesus was on earth, and he defrauded people. He took from the poor. He wasn't a very nice man, and then he meets Jesus, and Jesus wants to enter his mess, his dysfunctional, scheming mess, and Zacchaeus is reborn. In Matthew 19, 9-10, it says, Today salvation has come to this house, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. What areas of our lives this morning, as we sit here, are we eager to see change in? The parts of our lives that we let no one see, but are racked with guilt and disappointment. To be rescued means that we don't carry that. We don't weigh ourselves down anymore. To be rescued means that the very chains that were binding us come loose. They come loose. In Acts 16, you see Paul and Silas in the jail. Uh, they're sent to jail for, for sharing the gospel. And there's one particular uh, phrase that just says, everybody's chains came loose. They started to worship, and then everybody's chains came loose. And when you read the Bible, sometimes certain phrases jump out at you they've never seen before, and that phrase just really stuck in terms of, uh, that should be a picture of here every single Sunday morning, that we come here weighed down, but then everybody's chains come loose. We're free. We would love to pray a fresh releasing of whatever's weighing us down this morning and declare the name of Jesus over it all because when you say that when you just say in the name of Jesus the enemy does not know what to do he flees because there's no name more powerful anytime i'm scared and as a 30 year old man i will put my hands up i get scared sometimes say the name of Jesus i just say a little prayer anytime you're praying for someone if you're here and you know that god's putting in your heart to pray for people but you're where do i start i don't know any big holy words just say in the name of Jesus Nice, short, to the point, God knows where it's coming from, and there's power in that. There is power in that this morning. There is no other name that is more powerful when it comes to a releasing ministry. He's eager. And you might be thinking this morning, I'm pretty scared because there's so much that I'd need to release. I'm scared what will happen. And as Dan said before, nothing weird happens. God is a God of love, of compassion, And you may cry, you may shout, you may shake, you may jump, you may laugh, you may do something that we've never seen before and then we'll all stare at you. I'm joking. But we're family and the Holy Spirit is eager to minister. That's why we meet here, to free ourselves up so we can go and share the good news, share what God's done in our lives to the people that don't know him, that are are weighed down. So we're released. Thirdly, we're re-equipped. You see what I'm doing with the R's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Jesus rescues us, we receive His forgiveness. Our sins are washed clean, then we get re-equipped with a new set of tools. Now, if you've been coming here for a wee while, you will know uh, from my various illustrations that DIY is not my forte at all. It's not my strength. And I like to say, God loves a trier, but my wife hates the aftermath. That is my uh, phrase in life when it comes to DIY. And one thing that I constantly do throughout my eight years or so of being in Aberdeen is that my toolkits that I get every Christmas, I constantly lose bits. I constantly lose bits over time. To the degree that six months after getting my screwdriver set from my uh, in-laws... I go to look at it, and I have three of the thirty screw bits left in the in the in the bit. And I'll maybe find some in the cutlery drawer. I'll maybe find some in the cereal box. I'm like, How does that even get there? I do not know. The point being, when Jesus comes into our lives, He reequips us. He gives us gifts to meet with Him, glorify Him, spend time in His presence, share Him with other people. But exactly the same as my IKEA toolkit that I get every year, bits go missing bits go missing. We lose parts that we need for certain jobs. The praying in tongues is left behind because we haven't done it in two years. The praying for someone at church was lost in amongst the tough few months that we've had at home. Reading the Bible has went to the bottom of the pile. It's been lost in the bookcase. The stirring of faith for miracles and God's power was left behind by cynicism, and that won't really work you see what I'm getting at here? Jesus in his rescue gives us the tools and he says, go and use them. They work, but we end up losing them along the way. We don't value them. We get out of practice. We get embarrassed. The world takes over. It's a bit like what was going, uh, going on with the people of Galatia. They said, Jesus, we have our rules and regulations. Maybe we say, Jesus, my parents will tell me what to do. Or, Jesus, I'll go to that medium or that palm reader. They'll tell me what my future holds. Or, let me go and Google it. We have been re-equipped with a new set of tools. God has given, God given to help us cope when life gets tough. When we seek out where to go and what to do. So, use His Word. Use the Bible that we read. Use it. It's a living Word. And if you're struggling, speak to somebody in our community. Do small group, real life with real people, and worship, which leads into our final point. So, our final R is we rejoice. So, just a little add-on in terms of this, that we rejoice, and that's more than a song when we rejoice, but I want to focus in particular on the singing part. In Chronicles 20, uh, just very briefly, it speaks of when the Holy Spirit fell on a man called Jehaziel. Uh, I might have pronounced his name wrong, but God loves a trier, as I said before. So, with Israel facing two armies bigger than theirs. So, Jehaziel had had an army, but there was two armies that were bigger than his. So, it was the impossible in terms of facing these people. And it says in Chronicles 20, "'Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves.'" Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. And then a little bit after it says, The king appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the enemies. Very interesting that the worshippers were sent out first. And the enemies of Israel, the two tribes, the two armies fought against each other. Their job was to seek Him, listen for His direction, and then obey this group of people. And worship moved the hand of God to destroy that which was bigger. So, we must remember the power and the intimacy that our worship with God carries. In the tough times, in the joys, in the quiet times, in the valleys and the mountains, we rejoice in our rescue. That what we feel right now isn't permanent. There's something better coming. There's a place where we will be made whole and we'll be face-to-face with our rescuer and rejoice even more. And we're a church who loves who love to worship. That's part of our values. We love to sing songs to God. And when we rejoice in the rescue, it means that our, our lives light up and we rejoice in how we live practically. We go out and live practically in light of that but also that we open our our hearts and our mouths in worship. We sing. We sing out. Something happens when we do that. And if you're not used to it, that's why we do a number of things at City Church. That's why we have the music really loud. That's why we have the words up on screen. We have the music really loud so that if you feel, oh, I've not quite got the X Factor voice, it means you can sing out and you don't need to worry about the person next to you because they won't hear you. That's why we have it nice and loud, to allow freedom in worship, That's why the words are up for every song, so there's not that awkward bit like, I don't know this song. And that's why we have lots of it. We have lots of it because we believe God moves during our times of worship. We believe that worship is one of the most important and special times in meeting with God, to allow His presence to move and to minister to us. So, what does Jesus' rescue mean for you this morning? What do we need to bring afresh to him? Why don't we stand?